Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Welcome everyone, and uh, I am Pastor Ben, and I am joined here by Pastor Phelps, and uh, for the next few weeks at least, we're going to be trying something new on the podcast. I'm going to be interviewing Pastor Phelps about uh, various different topics, and I figured this would be an interesting way, hopefully a helpful way, to help people get to know Pastor a little bit, and uh, get to know his thoughts, and uh, get to know him. So, uh, Pastor, first of all, thanks for joining me. Glad to join you, Ben. And um, this week, I thought it would be helpful to kind of do a follow-up. Now, we've just concluded our series on contemporary Christian topics. Is that correct? Well, technically, I call it contemporary Christian concerns. Concerns, yes. But they are topics, yes. We, <laughs> topics we, of concern. I typically do them in January or toward the beginning of the year. Sometimes I've done those on Wednesday nights, sometimes Sunday nights. But I've been doing that format for many years. So as we, I thought it might be helpful for people as we kind of come near the end of this phase of contemporary Christian concerns. Um, let me let me just ask a couple of questions. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. First of all, you know, someone might be listening and say, "Man, I you know I really like colonial. There's a lot of just good, solid biblical preaching. You just kind of go passage by passage. Why would you Why would you break away from that and then suddenly bring up controversial topics? Wouldn't you be afraid that something like that might cause division? Well, quite the opposite. I think it should cause unity because the topics that we address uh, are focused on what's happening in the world round about us. And always asking the question, so what does the Bible say? What would the Spirit of God want me to discern during this critical time? And so knowing that and seeing that together in the pages of God's Word ought to bring together unity rather than uh, diverse, diversity or uh, division. Okay. How do, you, um, how do you go about picking the issues for this series? Uh, this, this year we went through anti-Semitism. We went through the social justice movement. Um, we went through uh, music, uh, contemporary worship, and I'm, I'm missing one there. Um, yeah, so we did critical race theory, social justice, uh, anti-Semitism, and then we did uh, one on worship wars. I think we just did four, Okay. though there were five Sundays in the month of January. You'll recall the young adults did the first Sunday. That's right. <laughs> Hard to forget. Yes. So um, how I pick them, I, I don't want to be a reactionary in the pulpit, and you're exactly right. I think we let the Word of God speak for itself. Week in, week out, going to God's Word and asking, what does God's Word say? Now, it's been an unusual time, to be quite honest with you. This is the longest period of time in my ministry that I have not been uh, verse by verse in a Bible book on Sunday morning. And that came along with Corona. We were in a series that I would consider a topical series under the theme of uh, breaking down strongholds. And we moved right from that theme uh, into getting to know our God as we studied the attributes of God on Sunday morning. That, to me, has been a very refreshing uh, conversation. I would agree. Yeah. The attributes of God is a doctrinal study, but we do want God's word to speak verse by verse. And so, yes, I love doing Bible book studies. Uh, but when it comes to uh, contemporary concerns, what happens, quite honestly, in the selection is as the year goes by, I listen, I read, I observe. And as things come up, and I think, man, I'd like to talk about that, mm. or the, the, that is a concern any Christian ought to have, I usually just kind of put that in my calendar and and tank those over into January and let the tank get full. And then in January, I, I share those. That's a good discipline for me. It keeps me from being a reactionary. What I don't want to have happen is, oh, I heard something in the news this week, so that's going to be Sunday's message. Not at yeah. all. So uh, putting that in January, that's the right time, it seems, in the biorhythm of our spiritual life and discernment when we can look round about. Now, that's not to say that once in a while we shouldn't interrupt the flow of life and say this is of such critical concern 
that we want to uh, interrupt a, a normal message series. Uh, but on the uh, contemporary Christian concerns, quite honestly, I, the topics this year were things that I've seen in my reading, heard, uh, just in going about my daily life, and I thought it would be helpful for us to take a biblical view of those. Yeah, I think that's helpful. I appreciate that. Um, as we've gone through this series, especially when we were looking at um, social justice and uh We've talked a lot about worldview, and that's kind of one of these buzz terms that gets thrown a lot around a lot. It's, it's fun to say worldview. Uh, wh- how would you define a worldview? What is a worldview, and, and how exactly does that work? I think people used to say uh, philosophy of life, and probably in the last thirty years, twenty-five years, I've heard worldview uh, has become almost a replacement of the term philosophy. What's your philosophy of life? And what we're meaning there is: Do you have a comprehensive, cohesive? Uh, thinking pattern that ties uh, your thoughts to Scripture and Scripture's thoughts, or scriptural thoughts, rally, rather, to uh, daily experience. So what's the lens that you're looking through in a comprehensive form? Do you have a philosophy of life? Do you have a worldview? It's a framework uh, from which we're going to view all reality round about us. Yeah, I've been teaching um, our apologetics and worldview class with our high school seniors and juniors at Colonial and I like that they use the example of the glasses, and I think that's a really helpful one. Glasses aren't necessarily something that you see. They're something that you see through. And um, I, I've heard it explained that a worldview, first of all, everyone has a worldview. Most people just don't realize that they have one. Um, but it's just kind of the way you look at the world and the, the grid through which everything um, flows, if well, that I, makes sense. I don't often quote Barna, but Barna has studies on about everything under uh, – the topic of religion and church. Uh, Barna did a study on Christian worldview way back in 1984, and they asked a series of questions to see if there would be a Christian consensus on those questions from people. For instance, what do you think about the virgin birth? Do you think the virgin birth is true or not? Do you think there is anything that you can say is uh, dogmatic truth, uh, that truth is truth? Uh, Questions like that, that they said this would represent a biblical worldview. Way back in 1984, uh, the diagnostic questions came to conclude that 9% of the professing Christians in America had what they would consider to be a biblical worldview. Uh, wow. that, that's, that's back in 1984. <laughs> By yeah. 2006, that number was down to 4%. So sadly, we are in a nation of increasing biblical illiteracy, and it has affected the way Christians think. We need to be thinking God's truth after him. Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen, thy word is truth. Isaiah 8 and verse 20 says uh, that to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to these things, it's because there's no truth in them. There is truth to be known. That truth is in God's word. And then the application of that truth to daily living is the foundation of our worldview, or it's the practical outliving of our worldview. And so my burden as a pastor would be helping people in our, ch- in our church uh, to look at life through the Word of God, uh, the glasses like you illustrated, so that our worldview would please the Lord. Well, and even when you went through your message on social justice, and you, you know, th- that was really helpful for me, where you said, okay, you have to realize how do they look at the world? They look at the world in terms of groups. We look at the world in terms of individual. God is dealing with the individual, He's saving individuals, He's working through individuals, He's holding individuals accountable, and realizing that there's this group over here that it's not just that we disagree, it's that they fundamentally see the world differently. 
And, you know, I thought that that was helpful for me, and I, I imagine that'd be helpful for our people too, as you get into these conversations and you feel like you're talking past someone. Sometimes you are talking past them because they see the world entirely differently. And that's that's helpful for us to realize as we're trying to have careful conversations and bring it back to God's Word and, and show them um, God's perspective on life rather than this perspective on life that they've that they've had somewhere else. Yes, and we saw that in uh, our cons- our consideration of the attributes of God recently when I began the message, I shared that Jesus uh, professed before Pilate to be the truth, the one who's representing the truth. And he used the definite article there, but Pilate asked the question of the ages, well, what is truth, and leaves off the definite article. He's shown a fatalism from the outset. We're living in a culture right now that's very fatalistic when it comes to the topic of is there truth available? Your truth is just as um, supportable as my truth. There are no objective truths to be known. People would kind of categorize this as postmodernism, but the Christian needs to stand up and say, no, there is a truth that's been revealed to us, and the truth is God's word. And when it comes to talking about uh, contemporary critical concerns, Christian concerns in this contemporary era, uh, I think it's very important that we talk about those things because we believe in God's word being sufficient. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable uh, not just for doctrine, for, but for correction, for proof, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be mature. So we, we hold to the sufficiency of Scripture. There shouldn't be any conversation in culture that comes up that would stump the Christian from having an opinion, not his own personal opinion, but God's opinion as discerned through the pages of God's Word. Yeah, and I, I do think that's one of the advantages of this series is that it helps people. I know it helps me think, okay, what are the what are the biblical principles that apply to this situation? Because we face all kinds of situations that the, the specific details of which Paul never faced, Peter never faced, and there's not a chapter and verse for it. So how do we move beyond chapter and verse to say what are the big scriptural principles and what do those principles look like fleshed out in the social justice movement or anti-Semitism or Christian, Christian worship, um, those types of things? And I think, too, when we look back historically, the role of the minister of God's word has always been uh, to encourage, instruct God's people so that they can go into the world with confidence and having a, an answer of the hope that lies within them. You know, imagine ourselves back pre-World War II and seeing a rise of anti-Semitism in Germany and reading God's word literally as we would read it. I would hope we'd have a message for our fellow citizens and even so today as Americans I think the American pastor has a responsibility. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul talks about wolves that will come in and can devour the sheep. There is a roaring lion out there. And to be uh, ready against the roaring lion, we have to have what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so he gives some pastors and teachers what for? For the edifying of the saint unto the work of the ministry. Part of the work of the ministry happens on Monday through Friday when you're interfacing with (laughs) people in in your workplace and you're the light of the world. So I think the pastor helps the people to sharpen that sword in preparation for their encounters. And so developing a proper worldview, uh, conversing about contemporary Christian concerns, I think that's essential uh, for us to make a difference as salt and light in our world. Hmm. That's really good. Um, As we move on, another question here. How do you decide, as you go through and you're kind of making the decision process, um, and just even beyond this series in, in your life, as we talk about these divisive issues, 
how do you decide what issues you must take a stand on and what issues you can overlook? You know, as somebody who's worked under you for several years, I've, I've seen times where you've, you know, gotten animated and said, no, we've got to hold the line here. This is really important. And then there's been other times where you've um, said, well, you know, Christians can disagree and, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push that. So for you personally, how do you work through, this is an issue where I've got to take a stand and say, this is what, this is right. Um, versus times where you say, um, you know, that's something that we can, we can disagree about, or um, that's something that I, I, I don't agree with, but I'm not going to force the issue. So the old adage is on matters of conviction, stand like a rock on matters of preference, go with the flow. So how do I know it's a matter of conviction? And the old answer to that question is, am I willing to die for it? Hmm. If I'm willing to die for my convictions, I better make sure that they're based entirely on Scripture. And then I have to be honest enough as the Spirit of God leads me to say, now, I've got a really strong preference on this. It's a preference typically based on biblical principle. And sometimes the weaving of that biblical principle can be so solid that I'm going to say uh, it's a matter of sin or non-sin. But when it comes to preferences, that's where I'd want to have some liberty along the way uh, to say my preference in this area may be this and yours may be that. I may have a preference to wear long sleeves 12 months of the year. That, that's a physical pref- preference based on warmth. I'm going to have a hard time finding biblical reason for that, so I'm not going to get up and preach that. Uh, that's kind of a silly illustration. Yeah, but, that's but when it's But when it's convictional, um, and I can say, thus saith the Lord, then I have an obligation to declare, even as the prophets of old, that this is a matter of conviction. So, for instance, um, for me, uh, something like uh, divorce. God's Word has a lot to say about divorce. Uh, so I ought to preach it as clearly as I can possibly preach it. On the topic of remarriage, I think God's Word has a lot to say on that too. But I do have discernment to know, yeah, there's a lot of different opinions so I better express this as carefully as I can, clearly as I can, but I may want to give opportunity for others who have other opinions, other preferences, if you will, to hold theirs and still be my friend. Uh, so how do I select? I think that's how you started the question. Yeah. So if this is going to be a stumbling block, if this is going to be something in the life of a believer that I know they're going to stumble over if they don't have instruction, then I better put that on my radar if this is going to be an opportunity for fellow believers to go into the community and hold a position that will cause people to come to know the Lord or uh, to, to know what God's values are, I, I need to instruct God's people. There's no perfect template, quite honestly, to say, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about this, I'm not going to talk about that. But what we are facing, Ben, in the times in which we're living is an aversion toward a pushback against dogmatism of any type. And that includes within evangelical circles. Mm -hmm. Your opinion is your opinion, my opinion is my opinion. And and honestly, it's not just selecting critical concerns. It's even pastoral preaching that would dare be applicational. There's pushback on applicational preaching. People like the teachment of the Word of God, the doctrines of God's Word, as long as we don't go to the applicational side. And I have to say, a time out. Uh, We have a model, if we're going to follow Christ in all of his steps, he was very applicational on uh, the religious milieu of his day. I mean, when when the Lord said, "Beware of the leaven of the of the Pharisees," I think he was pretty applicational. <laughs> and when the Lord spoke uh, culturally, he spoke on the topic of divorce. You'll remember that they tried to uh, put him in a a, a a conversation that would cause 
not just conflict, but caused him to be compromised before Herod. And yet he took a clear stand and spoke very clearly from God's word on a topic that would cause a lot of people in his culture uh, to be offended on one side or the other. Even politically, uh, the Lord Jesus was willing in the Gospel of Luke, I think the 13th chapter, to call one of the political leaders of his day, Herod, a fox, and confronted Pilate in telling Pilate at his trial that the power that he represented was a power that had been given to him by God, and without God giving him that power, he'd have no power. Those are really straightforward statements if you put them into our culture and, uh, and as they were in his culture. So I, I think the biblical mandate and the model uh, for the pastor is to preach the word, to reprove, rebuke, exhort, which means you're going to have to be applicational. And if you follow the Lord's pattern, application is going to have to be there. Yeah. I think, you know, even as you look at the New Testament letters, there's a lot of specific application. I mean, Paul, Peter, James, all of these guys, they're listing off specifics. Uh, Paul's not afraid to call out names and say, this person yes. has abandoned me. This person's causing trouble, have nothing to do with them. And so I, I definitely, yeah, it, it, it sounds nice to say, well, just let the Holy Spirit do the application. But, um, you know, Jesus applied and, and Paul applied. And so um, that's helpful as well. Uh, final question here as we kind of wrap things up. And um, this is one that I'm sure a lot of people are asking uh, today. How can we as Christians, as we think about um, controversy, how can we as Christians remain united um, with as much controversy as we see around us? And there are things that even today Christians are very divided on, things like vaccines, things like masking, things like should you vote for Trump? How do we as believers continue to get along when it comes to these things that we would probably consider preferences and there's so much division and so much um, disagreement within the ranks of Christianity. So I guess I begin my answer with that by considering the book of Philippians, Ben, because in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is in a jail cell. And you recall that in Philippians chapter 1, he's going to give the testimony that if Christ is preached, he's going to rejoice. And he even says, so that his bonds are being made a representative even in the palace. But Paul says in Philippians 1, some at that time were preaching Christ of contention and some of jealousy and some of envy. They were very schismatic. But Paul was keeping the main thing the main thing. Is Christ being preached? Are people coming to know Christ as Savior? Is the gospel being declared? Well, if that's true, I'm going to rejoice. Hmm. Doesn't mean I'm going to do it the way everybody does it, but I'm going to rejoice. Paul was rejoicing even when he said Christ was being preached in contention. But then what's his appeal? Philippians chapter 2. He speaks to Yodius and Syntyche, and he asks them to be of the same mind and then gives them illustration of what mind they ought to have. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he puts forward the Lord as the ultimate servant who gave himself his very life for us. And so the appeal is, will you be keeping the main thing the main thing? That's the gospel. Will you have a servant's heart and a servant's mind, uh, the mind of Christ being in you, so that when you're going through the tension points, uh, you can say, well, I love the way somebody said it. I know I'm a servant when somebody treats me like one. Hmm. Uh, people's disagreement with me uh, should not be personalized by me to the point where it stymies my opportunity to fellowship with someone else. They're, they're, obviously, people have different temperaments to, in this regard, but one of the best things I learned many years ago is just because somebody disagrees with me doesn't mean they don't like me. Mm. They might not like my idea. That's okay. <laughs> well, there's room for opinion. 
Uh, and that's one of the reasons that I love being a Baptist, and I've said this often. One of the Baptist principles is individual soul liberty, mm. which means as an individual, I'll give account before the judgment seat of Christ, as will you. And so whether it be on who you vote for or what vaccine you take or do not take or any number of these schismatic issues, I want to be reminded, one, keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, I'm going to rejoice if Christ is being preached. If I have a brother or sister who's a believer and, a, and makes that profession known, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to expect that there can be strife and envy. Uh, the Apostle Paul saw it in his era, Philippians 1, but I'm going to remember that the mandate that I have is to strive to the best of my ability, like Yodius and Syntyche were cha- challenged to, to strive for unity and hold up the example of how Christ demonstrated a servant spirit when he was treated like one, he still acted like one. He didn't push back. He didn't hold on and cling to his own. And so having a, a kind spirit in the midst of controversy and, and not losing sleep hmm. uh, or uh, pushing forward, you know, it's so tempting to always want to end the argument having the last word and, and being right. Hmm. Um, I've, I've quoted this also this past year. One of the best things I learned, Marty Heron was at our couples retreat. I guess it'll come up on two years now, but when he said, you, you come along in life and you learn that you can be right or you can have a relationship. Hmm. And, and that's really good counsel that, uh, you know, learning that if I want to continue this relationship, maybe I need to stop this argument. Um, I can be right or I can have a relationship and, and I want to choose to be right as the Lord gives me opportunity back to the conviction versus preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when we talk some of the, those things you illustrated with, whether it's vaccine or who you're voting for or face mask, we're talking preferences. We're not talking biblical convictions. And so when that happens, I need to be willing to back off and say, you know, I, I can't conclude for you. You're going to have to conclude on your own, but every one of us is going to have to give an account before the Lord. So I'm going to keep that in mind. He's the judge. Yeah, I've been um, preaching with our singles through 1 Corinthians, and we've just recently finished up chapters 1 through 4, which is really Paul um, kind of calling the Corinthians to account because of all of their divisions. And really his point throughout all of that is that divisions come from arrogance. There's pride, um, there's a self-focus, uh, and that that can then filter its way through. Um, and then you you pair that with Philippians 2, what's the opposite? The opposite is humility and service and putting others before myself leads to unity. And unity is, is something that's it's a huge deal for Paul throughout the whole New Testament. He comes back to it over and over again that we would be unified as a church, that God's people would be one. You know, my son-in-law is from India, and I've had this conversation with him on more than one occasion that he has mentioned having grown up in a predominantly Hindu and Muslim culture and growing up as a minority of minorities, a Christian mm-hmm. in India. He said, it's interesting how few things we found in India to disagree over (laughs) and how many things we find in America to disagree over Uh, because we live in a, uh, what has typically been a majority Christian culture. We often focus on uh, the little flies in the ointment and uh, fail to see the joy of of blessing of having a relationship with another gospel believer. So we want to keep the main thing, the main thing, but that doesn't mean that we don't have strong opinions and aren't (laughs) going to take ourselves seriously when it comes into God's word. So back to where we started, developing a biblical worldview, basing it on scripture and living it out in the culture is an important priority. And so I think that as we exhort one another and so much more as we see the day approaching, 
we ought to be able to express our opinions and always seek to do that in light of God's word, always led by Christian love. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Thank you, Pastor, for your time. Thank you for uh, your care and uh, working us through this series and some of these more controversial issues. Um, We look forward to interviewing you next time. And uh, for the listener, thank you for joining us, and we hope to see you next time as well. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. What you've heard has been an encouragement to you. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. And we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.